Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. I certainly hope so. I'm trying to seduce him. Who's the I in that sentence? Me. You? Her. Conversations about collaboration, episode 28. Nellie Hyatt joins me. She is the head of workplace transformation at VergeSense. We discuss performance management, trust, changes in corporate real estate, transparency, and working at Stripe. Let's rock. Nellie, where does this pod find you? I'm in Venice Beach in Los Angeles. How is Venice Beach? It's very sunny. <laughs> we had a real summer day yesterday. The beach was overly packed, but I like it. I like this time. Mm. Today, HSBC announced that even executives would have to find places to work. I would love to get your take on this because in the past, in different capacities, I've been a part of open offices or hoteling or hot desking or whatever, but that never applied to people in the C-suite. I found it absolutely fascinating, but I'd love to get your take on it. Have you ever heard of this happening before? And um, just what's your overall reaction? I think there's so much to unpack in just that headline. Uh, um, I think first to me, it's very interesting that they, they are able to openly say even top executives, which shows that pre-pandemic, it was okay with for everyone to have an hierarchy, uh, like an hierarchy um, of um, of offering based on your status, your career progression, etc., your seniority, which is something that was very opposite to the Silicon Valley mindset, where I forged my own expertise and passion of the workplace, um, where their open floor plan was applicable to everyone. We didn't have such a like different. Uh, path for for different status. So that already for me, it's shocking that that a year ago, executives and the rest of the cohort were were given different paths. Uh, so I'm happy now. It's the big equalizer of uh, of um, in the future. Like everybody will go through the same framework as they work. That's the first thing that I think is great. I think like I love it, top executives to be. Uh, uh, meeting with with employees, their reports, another report, report of someone else. But we again, we all part of the same mission. Like all HSBC employee, wherever whatever their seniority level, are all just a piece to contribute to making this big mission happening. Um, so it was really unfair there were, that there was different offerings to different people. The second thing is um, when we look at the, head, the headline, it got me anxiety because I was thinking, oh, like, if, again, if we only look at the headline, I don't know what happened behind the stage, but if we only look at the headline, the fact that top executives are sharing the anxiety of going through this shows that there was not a lot of like change management going into this new model. Um, which which the anxiety for me comes from comes from this idea that if there's no change management that was um, implemented throughout to get to that decision and have all employees 
going through a process of like realigning the behaviors and the goals and the ambition to come to that decision, it will fail. And I don't want the, 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 the future of work to fail. Like the future of work can is for us right now, we have this opportunity to really create something new, something that is better than before. So I'm afraid that some companies were, were big names will fail into building the future of work. And so they will drag this them with them, this argument that there's no other way. We should just go back to what we had before. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I have a sore spot when it comes to office space, because I can remember in my days as a professor having to share an office because of lack of space, yet a faculty member who was in China for the entire year would never come in the office, but that office was his or hers. And that just struck me as a very inefficient use of space. I understood it, but that still made it very frustrating when I'd have to meet with a student in a separate office that I'd have to find because of regulations and my colleague was in the office. Um, So I would argue that shit doesn't get real until executives have to play by the same rules. Am I wrong? Yeah, exactly. Uh, And again, with this big equalizer is that we're just going to up the standard. If top executives now have to go through a new model, great, they all bring everybody there instead of thinking that we should have a subpar experience for all. The goal is that we have an amazing and optimal experience for all. When you think about transforming the workplace, part of it is going to be real estate, right? Companies calling them collaboration centers versus offices. A cube farm doesn't make any sense. Why commute an hour and a half if you're just going to sit there in code all day? Um, what other parts of a transformed workplace do you see beyond just tweaking the setup of a floor or a building? Uh, something that we've talked throughout the pandemic is um, meaning. What is the what is the meaning of uh, our work? Like people are looking for meaningful work, a meaningful mission, and what is the purpose of the office and how the office should serve us in being aligned with that mission and that meaning. So that's very new. I think it's not openly talked about, something that, that we feel like real estate people or workplace people shouldn't talk about heart because meaning, purpose, is we're talking about the heart of what we do, things we do, and why we design the things that we, we design this way. Um, so that's something that is going to change. Not only we're going to tweak the office and the workplace, but there's going to be a stronger demand, both from top leadership up to like any employee to ask, why? Why did you make this decision? Why did you take away my desk? Why did you, uh, do I, did, do I do still keep desk when I actually can work from home? Why, like now we're going to have to justify and with this justification come the questioning. Do we still need desk in the office? Do we need more collaboration? When should people come? If they come, what happens in the office that cannot happen on Zoom? Uh, and for me, starting with the why is, again, the, the fertile soil to really create something that is more meaningful and more ambitious for the workplace in the future. I would agree. I would think that before the pandemic, you would ask yourself internally questions like, is this meaningful to me? But Ultimately, if your job didn't fulfill you, but you got paid a decent salary and had benefits, your manager might say, who cares? But now that we've been working from home, people with families or pets or caring for loved ones have had the ability to juggle these responsibilities and said, wow, I could actually pick my kid up at school every day 
and not get home at seven or eight o'clock at night and see him or her for 30 minutes before going to sleep. Um, is that something that you're finding that your clients are grappling with? Yeah, definitely. This new awareness of, of appreciating the life outside of work is, again, something very new that we got to experience. And people went through this questioning. Oh, now that I have to spend, to spend so much time at home, do I like where I live? Do I like the home I pick? Those are questions that I didn't have to ask myself before because I was spending most of my time out, especially in San Francisco, in New York, in big cities where really the focus was out of the, of, out of the home. Um, and suddenly then you realize that, oh, when I'm spending a lot of time at home with my loved ones, do I give them enough of myself? Uh, do I make do I put the focus and the effort to make it an, uh, a great environment for myself and for the other people who live here? Can I make something of my own? That's um, just this is very interesting because that's part of the new conversation we have with architects. Like, should we, the same way that people have learned at home to redecorate their home, maybe move to a different place, maybe take more space for different activities, should we make the office as movable? Um, and, that's, and that's very much something that is new within architecture. But should all furniture be able to move? Can we have walls that will close and open? And can we have this accepted behavior that people will transform the office uh, contrary to what we had before? Like we have this cleaning crew almost 24 hours 7 putting things into place. Like we didn't like the chairs were not where we had decided that they should be, et cetera. So that's very funny that we're going on the other side. The flip side... Uh, and again, it's another amazing clip that now that we've discovered that we can we should make a life out of the office great. We are still thinking, how can I make my life in the office great? Because for years you could sit next to your colleague, and it's a given that you have a relationship, but sometimes you really don't have something deeper than just sitting next to each other and saying hi at the beginning of the day and hi at the end of the day. Through COVID, when people feel so isolated they start reaching out to their colleagues and, and asking questions that they've never talked before. Like, oh, you have kids. I didn't know how are your kids going through. And, and, oh, you decided to have a pet. Why? Yeah. Okay. I hear you. I'm, I'm also feeling lonely. And, oh, you decided to move. Did you tell the company? No, me neither. I haven't talked. I haven't told them because we don't know yet if we can be remote, but I want that for myself. So all those questions, the underlying question that makes a true relationship um, authentic and nourishing is has been happening since we left the office. Um, so now the flip side is like, how do we how do we carry through? How do we carry through as we go back to the office? How do we pick our days when we decide to do to the office? Because we know that that day maybe I won't bring my laptop. Maybe I will actually dedicate this time to socialize with other members of the same community because we already have the same mission. So we have at least one thing we share in common. I'm sure we can find other things that we share in common. Um, and if we were going on that side, then maybe, yes, we don't need desks. Maybe we don't need even meeting rooms. We just need like this open socializing hubs and innovation hubs. And I think that I think I'm coming to even my own limitation of like, why do we need walls? Um, like for meeting rooms, like if you're meeting and talking about a project within the overall mission, maybe anyone could bring an idea as they walk through the hallway, like, oh, I like this. Okay, add that. And then you go off. Um, so yeah, this is what I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. I know that at Netflix, for instance, every all the data is transparent or public by default with some exceptions like salary information or maybe some intellectual property 
Whereas in many organizations, everything's private by default, and you really have to move heaven and earth to make things open. Um, in your vision of the future of work, um, do you have, it's a fair point, um, open meetings with some restrictions because any clown could come in and disrupt things, right? Which isn't very productive, but say more about that. that that's fascinating to me that someone could walk by and just sit in on a marketing meeting, even though the person works in product development or research or security or whatever. Yeah, I um, again, it's it's not a, a content that I have formulized yet, but it's coming by putting different blocks together. But what I knew before COVID, um, and I got the chance to work for Stripe, which had this very transparent mentality and transparent culture. All emails were readable by anyone in the company. Um, and they were really encouraging to have very few instances where you had to have a private channel on Slack or private email thread um, because they wanted to have this um, uh, the same concept that we apply in our workplaces where we create collision places. We try to have different teams sitting next to each other. They wanted to translate that and transpose that into the digital workplace through emails, through Slack. So let's be open. We never know what idea has this product manager? Maybe this project manager was actually a graphic designer before, or maybe like we have life is going is definitely our generation. We, we are going to go through at least three or four different transformations of our own skill and craft and what we bring to our workplace. But all we had before is still there and is still to be used. So by opening, um, meetings and brainstorming session to more people, we are going to generate ideas. And this is what we were already trying to do before, but not daring to go to the next stage. And I think now we have this opportunity to go to the next stage. Um, the last block that I want to add to that new concept that I'm formulating is um, throughout the pandemic, we've seen that teams were able to work really well. Like, Teams were already formed pre-COVID, made it really well throughout COVID uh, by being just digital. So the question is, do we need to bring teams back to the office or can teams continue to work on the, in the digital HQ through Zoom, through Slack, et cetera? Uh, and when we come to the office, this is the time where we, we reach out of the team because on that, we haven't been good at. Like It's really hard for someone in marketing to into a meeting of a different teams you don't even know that's not on your schedule like how do you um so that thing that is not happening digitally how can we leverage the office for that so on those brainstorming session or this time where we all come with this um intention to be creative let's open the doors to everyone in the company i'm intrigued i want to go back to something that you said nelly about working at stripe where you relied almost exclusively on public Slack channels versus private ones. Um, did a, say, marketing manager ever go into a finance channel and see one of his or her direct reports going, are we not giving you enough work? Why are you so focused on that? We have plenty to do here. Isn't that one of the potential downsides of that type of transparency? No? Uh, yeah, you, you could see me say no. Uh I was very in love with the Stripe mentality of transparency because there was one uh, value um, that was act as an owner, act like an owner. So we all owner of that company. Uh, and, and what was very interesting at Stripe is that they 
would always tell you once you get the offer and you're going through the onboarding, we didn't hire you because you can be good at your job. We hire you because you, you're smart and you figure it out. And so there was a lot of encouragement to actually moving teams throughout your life at Stripe. Um, so no, like it was actually very encouraged to like park around and give ideas and, and knowing that you might not be able to carry the execution because that you already have a lot on your plate. Uh, but there was this big openness to ideas, collective thinking, brainstorming, bringing something, bringing different people from different teams together and uh, and carry a new thought. Because that, that's only with the collision of very different thinking that you, be, you can maybe find um, a new thought. Hmm. Well, you're talking about trust, right? We trust that if we hire you, you're smart and you'll figure out. We trust that if you're working from home, you're not playing Candy Crush or whatever the hell the kids are playing. We trust that if a channel is public in Slack, that you're not going to take screenshots and send it to another company, right? You're nodding. I guess I'm on the right path. Yeah, I, the, the word trust. And I think it, it's funny. I, I have my own um, my own my own insecurity of using this word because it is actually the foundation of any company culture. It should be there. Like no company culture, no company should can success without trust. And yet I still feel that the corporate world is not ready for that. So we, we use meaning, we use purpose, we use connection, we, but like at the foundation, it's trust. Like only when you uh, feel the trust from others and you feel that you can give trust to others, you feel connection. You feel that you can take risks, that you can give ideas, that you can take risks, which we know is, again, at the heart of innovation. Like If I can take risks, this is by this risk that we're going to stay up to date with what the, the market wants. Um, but again, you need you need trust and safety. I'm intrigued because when the pandemic broke about a year ago, many companies did make investments in technology, but it was for employee surveillance and not necessarily for Slack or Teams or Zoom. Um, trust issue, right? Yeah. And especially as I'm... Um, I'm as an ambassador and the head of workplace transformation for Virgins. That's something that we really focus on, making sure that our technology, our, te our technology cannot even be used for surveillance, but really breaking this idea that no one should implement technology to survey their employees. This is not how you build trust. Technology should be used, again, with a purpose. What is your purpose? If you want to make an amazing employee experience, use technology, but technology that can that can never give you access to privacy, to surveillance, to knowing who's coming, who's not coming. Um, and I'm very proud that, that, and this is why I also decided to join Virtions because of that underlying mission that technology should never be used uh, to survey and, and, um, and technology should only be used to create an amazing experience. So riddle me this at VergeSense or with, outside of it, how would you really gauge trust? Because it seems to me that if you ask a manager, do you trust your employees? That manager is probably going to say, sure. But the actions may belie those words, right? And an employee may not honestly answer a survey if he or she thinks that there is surveillance and it's going to be tracked back to me and my boss is going to find out I'm going to get a bad performance review or fired or a pay cut or something if I'm found out. Um, how do you bridge that gap? Because I can't imagine that that's easy under normal circumstances. And then you throw in the fact that 
people may be working somewhere else in the world. It seems like a tough nut to crack. It is. Um, but why it is, it's because of the legacy. And that's the same with workplace transformation. We are working with a legacy of old habits or uh, or real estate, real estate commitments, or even workplace design. We're working out with this legacy and we're trying to create a new. That's the same with trust. Like the old, the old habits and even the old um, philosophy of work was, was you shouldn't trust. Employees, employers should be a fight with each other. Employees are trying to explode. Employers are trying to explode. Employees, employees feel exploded. And it's not a long time ago that this philosophy was still um, accurate. So we're carrying this throughout. And it's hard to create a new framework for that. But ideally, once we are able to create a framework, and the walls will be the first tip of the iceberg. If we change the vessel and the container, trust can happen. So what, I, what is this container that we're working about, talking about is how do I go about, how do you go about um, giving me this opportunity to join the mission? How do you assess that I'm aligned with your mission and that I really will subscribe to that mission? And this is why I'm, I decided to engage with this company and being a full-time employee for that company. That's maybe the first assessment as we go through the onboarding and making sure we really hire the people who will be carrying with us the mission. The next one is the relationship you have with your manager. Um, and your manager, unfortunately, is also working with diff- with all framework, but he, as we're thinking about revolutioning the performance reviews and maybe calling it um, more of a contribution review, like, how do you contribute to the overall mission by giving ideas to other teams? So I know you're not wasting your time when you give ideas to other teams. You're actually contributing to the overall mission. So how do I evaluate that? Your contribution to your own wealth. Because I know that when you're healthy, you can, you can give the best of your steps. So how can I measure that you taking the time that you need to disconnect, to recharge, to nourish yourself? The contribution to the culture. Like, can I, how can I start measuring how much you bring into the culture? Because again, like the, the, the culture will be the one thing that will keep, that will retain other employees or will make people want to go to another company. And then how do I make sure you contribute to your role? Um, and for manager, if they also part of a supportive uh, environment where we ask them, you need your team to deliver, but you also need this company to deliver. So if there's one element in your team that you think will be great in another team, it's actually an amazing thing for you to do and voice that. It's end up saying, oh, my team won't hit the target this month because that person wanted exactly the perfect fit. Actually, if you were able to fill that person into a new role and they're going to hit their target, this is great. So even managers should be um, evaluated on their contribution to the overall mission and not just their KPI or OKR. Uh, so that's a framework that we need to revolutionize. And the third is compassion in the framework. Like who are the people that I, I hire? What are they going through in their life? Do they have, do they have young parents? Are they, do they carry for older parents who they live with? Um, and as we implement this compassion and this understanding of like what you're going through in life, then we can have the trust. Like, you know that I'm already aligned with the mission. You already think that I'm contributing to my health and to the company culture and the company mission. So if tomorrow I need to take a day, uh, half a day off, you know that I'm doing this in context of all of this. So you don't need to surveil me. Um, 
And the framework that we're thinking about in the future is how do we actually measure this? How do I measure that you're contributing to the culture? How do I measure that you contribute to your own health? Because those are the incentives where I can see the flag. Like if I see you running through weeks and weeks without taking any day off, without, I, that's a flag for me that like I should have a conversation and make sure like you, you see me as supporting you. So you're betting that if you create a work environment, it's just got cool stuff, right? There's just a vibe there, right? It's not just a desk that promotes trust. And you could see your colleagues, then even employees who could conceivably work from home still may, right, for certain things, but will voluntarily come in. And it's it's just fascinating to me because two years ago, I mean, if you threw that out, what do you mean you're going to decide to come to work today? You're not the founder. Right, your entry level, your mid level, whatever. Um, that's basically the bet that you're making. And then measuring that, I agree with you, is the tricky part because um, I'm fond of something. Have you ever heard of Goodhart's Law? No. It's basically once people know how they're being measured, they'll act in a way to maximize that. And the classic example is if it's a nail factory and you say, we're going to pay you based on the number of nails that you produce, you're going to get a ton of little nails that you can't use. Say, oh, no, no, we'll pay you based on the size of the nail. Okay, fine. They're going to make a nail that's the size of you know, a, a truck, which obviously you can't hammer because it's too big. So I think the measurement is going to be the tricky part. Yeah, but if we were encouraged and incentivized to, um, yeah, invest in our health, invest in the company culture, invest in contribution to the mission, like those are at least for a period, um, would be great. I'm sure like any model will come to the limitation of it. But right now, that's something that somehow in Silicon Valley was incentivized. And this is why we think they were just ads on, but they were actually like to encourage people to care for themselves because once they care for themselves, then they bring the best work they can. But having a gym and having a meditation uh, um, studio and having yoga classes, like, yeah, this is great. But there was this underlying mindset behind it that you, you, you need to focus on yourself. You need to be good at all times because we are part of this engine. We, we have to make it running. Uh, but again, the, the, it's not an evil concept if the overlying mission is something that is bringing good to the world. Yeah, if it's bringing good to the world, we all want to contribute to it and we all want to give the best of ourselves to it. Um, so there's a lot, we all very demanding. The company's mission needs to be great. There's, need to, there's a need to have a new evaluation and performance review that is more about contribution reviews. Um, and then we need our workplaces to be a translation of all this, trans, this transformation. Where do we start? Because I'm preaching workplace transformation because I'm like, oh, people are listening now. Like they're listening to it. If I can go through this road, I'll hit the next two points. Other change manager will per- maybe hit the first one and hoping the next two ones will come. So I see there's like a big movement to like go out to, to any of these openings that we see right now to bring a change. Good stuff. I'll get you out of here on this, Nelly. What book are you currently reading? I'm reading Where Is My Office by Chris Kane. He's going to be uh, on my podcast later. I'm, uh, I love Chris Kane. He's it's, it's such a rebel and change maker. And he's a big inspiration. And I'm also reading something very interesting that is called A Spiritual Guide to Finding Meaning and Purpose in Your Life. Hmm. Uh, and it's very interesting to me because I think like I found mine 
So I'm trying to see how can I use it <laughs> to, uh, to find it in others <laughs> or to give inspiration to others to find theirs. Well, this is an inspirational talk, Nelly. Thanks for being on. Thank you very much. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.